0: All right, we are continuing in a message series, going through the book of Acts together. And uh, I was like, I was talking to Pastor Tom, I'm like, oh, man, we're like, Acts is long, you know? I was like, we're, we're getting into, like, normally I pick like a, like James or, you know, Jude. That's an easy one. It's one, one chapter. I'm like, we're biting off a big thing here. But I, I just really sense that the Lord is wanting us to work through this as we've just been getting this... Um, this kind of idea of like stripping back all of the things that we call church and going back to the basics. We, we went through that, even the whole reset series going through uh, um, our 21 days of prayer and fasting and talking about just stripping back, going back to the ancient paths. And so that's what kind of this, the beauty of going through the book of Acts together. It's the first 30 years of the birth of the church and um, I'm, I'm excited about it. We're gonna, um, we're gonna get into Acts chapter two. If you've got your your Bibles or your, your YouVersion app, whatever, uh, go to Acts chapter two. We left off last week in Acts chapter one and uh, the believers were all in one place. They're in an upper room and they're waiting for the promise, the, the gift that Jesus told them about of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So you've got 120 people, just imagine this, 120 people Gathered in a borrowed room, um, no building. They got. They got no. They got no affluence. They got no tax exempt status. They got no higher education. They got no political influence. They got no money to speak of, and yet, these people. We're going to watch this as we go through the book of Acts. This small group of men and women turn the world upside down, um, and it's that's an amazing thing just in and of itself. And I, and I hope that what we see here as we go through this and even as we talk today, I hope that you see that they did not change the world by criticizing it or conforming to it. They changed the world by being ignited by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't, I can't, I'm going to be talking about that a lot today, so I hope you get this. That there, was, there was no doubt in their mind that what they were able to accomplish came only through the infilling power of this, this Holy Spirit that they're experiencing here in Acts chapter 2. Um, they, they, they were not called to be caretakers of a museum called the church. They were called to be risk-takers in a movement called the church. And when we get those two things mixed up, well, we get very ingrown and um, we don't make much of a difference in the world around us. And so right here on the day of Pentecost is the birthplace of this movement that spans the world and began right here that you and I are a part of today. Um, and so please turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Let's attempt to read this. Here's what I want to do. I know maybe you've read this part specifically Acts chapter 2. If maybe you don't even like read, you don't know that much about Acts, you probably know Acts chapter 2. Can we just take a moment and read it for the first time? Um, As if, you know, I think that sometimes uh, we, we miss or we overlook things in the Word of God because we think we already know it. And, and a lot of times familiarity breeds complacency because we're like, yeah, I know this, I've read this, I've, I've seen this before. But let's just allow, allow the Word of God just to kind of wash over you fresh and new today. Acts chapter 2, would you mind standing with me as we honor the reading of God's Word? Acts 2, um, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly, Now, they were staying there in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that, that each of us hears them in our own native language? You got Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, I mean, got everybody. We're We're hearing them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. (laughs) I think it's a great place to end. Uh, God, I thank you that um, you, you make ways where there are no ways, and you show up when we least expect it, and it's always suddenly. And I love that question what does this mean god i pray that we would encounter you fresh and new today i pray that your word would uh would be encountered and reveal something fresh and new in us today and uh, that we would wrestle with that question what does this mean for us for me here today in jesus name we pray amen you be seated thanks so um, chapter 2 begins with the believers waiting, doing what Jesus last told them to do. And uh, what was that? So Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, we read this a couple weeks ago. Jesus gave them this command. He said this, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my Father has promised. There's this... There's this thing about waiting, tarrying for the Holy Spirit. This thing about, like, don't leave, stay here, even though you don't necessarily know what's going on. Wait for God to move before you move. Um, There's an evangelist, G. Campbell Morgan, who wrote this. Waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means three things. First... Activity under command. Waiting for God means second, readiness for any new command that may come. And third, the ability to do nothing until the command is given. There's this idea, I think many times we look at waiting, especially in our busy culture, um, as doing nothing or as being lazy, but waiting on God is sometimes the very thing that we need to be doing and the very thing that we do the least. Waiting for God to move before we move. Um, the Bible says that Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. In other words, he had to see what the Father was doing before he did. And many times we do, and then we say, I hope you're coming, God. It'd be great if you came along with me. I, I kind of launched out. I don't know if it was, I, I just kind of had to make something happen here. It'd be great if you blessed it. Or, oh, oh, oh shoot, oh whoops, I messed up. Can you fix it, Right? So many times we're like, God, would you bless it or fix it? Rather than, God, I want to hear what it is that you want me to do. I want to see what it is that you want me to do, and then I'm going to walk in obedience to that. It, it involves waiting, and waiting is something that I find um, seems to be easier for other people than for me. Because I look at you, and when you're not waiting, I just look at you as impatient, Right? I know you've been waiting for a year. I know you've been waiting for a month. I know you've been you know, waiting for the husband to come. And, you know, I, I know it's been five years, but would you just wait? I mean, what is the hurry, sister, right? But for me, I don't like wait, waiting like 10 minutes for my fast food. Like that's, that's too long. I find that it's easier for other people than, than it is for me. And so um, how long did Jesus tell them to wait? This is, this is key. How long did he tell them to wait? In Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Let's read it. For John baptized with water, but in a few days. Catch this. This is the last thing they hear before Jesus goes, beam me up, Scotty, right? Like he says, I need you to wait in Jerusalem, but in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now here's, here's, I'm just going to be very honest. If I was one of the 11 that heard Jesus say these and then goes up, The first question I would have after Jesus went up into heaven would be this, how long is a few days? I mean, I wish Jesus said like a little more definitive. I mean, these are the last words he has to say, and he leaves us with this ambiguous like, but in a few days, this is going to happen. Uh, and and we'd probably have this conversation like even we would right now like okay well it's not a couple because a couple is two um, and and it's not he didn't say weeks he didn't say a few weeks so we know that it's maybe hopefully less than a week so I'm hoping you know what it's going to be day three because Jesus rose from the dead on the third day guys I got it done day three third day it's going to be awesome so they go back and they're like hey guys Jesus sold us the Holy Spirit's coming the promise the gift we just got to wait three days Did he say three days? No, but that's what he meant. He meant three days. So, okay, we're going to go. All right, day one, they're like, you know, we should probably fast. That's a great idea, Peter. you got a lot of great ideas, Peter. We're going to fast. It's only three days. So day one, they fast. Great, okay. Day two, they fast. And they're praying, and they're going. Day three comes. They're fasting and praying. And midnight comes. What the heck is going on? Nothing. Nothing of substance. I mean, certainly the... The gift of the Holy Spirit doesn't show up. I'm sure they had a great prayer meeting and probably maybe sang some songs together, maybe even wrote a new one, right? Like, I, I don't know, but day three comes. Nothing happens. Day four, day five, day six, they're probably like, you know what? I've been praying in this morning. I think it might be day seven because day seven, seven is, means completeness in the Bible. It's, I was wrong. I said the third day, but it's probably seven. Day seven comes, Nothing. Day eight. Day nine. Guys, look uh, looking, I'm, I think I'm gonna head home. I'm getting kind of hungry. I don't know whose idea it was to fast. Was that yours, Peter? You're an idiot, right? Like, I mean, are you serious? I, I gotta go. My, my, I gotta feed my dog. My, my, my boss has been texting me, wondering if I'm gonna, coming to work. I mean, well, how long is this gonna go? I mean, really and truly, like, day nine. And then all of a sudden, Day 10, verse 2, follow with me. Suddenly, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. God always seems to surprise us suddenly, doesn't he? I want you to notice what... um, what it says and what it doesn't say. The Bible says that it was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. But it wasn't a wind. It was a sounded like the wind, but the sound filled the room. And so many times, you know, we think of like, oh, well, this is what happened. There was just a huge tornado that happened in this upper room. It doesn't say that. It may have happened. I'm not saying it didn't, but it doesn't say that. It just says that there was a sound like a violent rushing wind wind all throughout the the word of god is used as a symbol of the presence of god in fact um if you look in in both hebrew and greek this is interesting um the word for spirit breath and wind are the same word both, both Hebrew and Greek. Spirit, breath, wind are the same words. So every time that you see or read in your English Bible uh, the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit, it could also be understood as the wind of God or the breath of God or the, the holy wind or the holy breath. This word pneuma in, in Greek. Um, because, because the Spirit of God and the wind of God is unpredictable, it's unpredictable. John chapter 3, verse 8, put it up up there. Um, It says this, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, keep that up there for a second. I want you to understand that the same word for, the same word pneuma is used twice in this one verse. It's just translated first wind and The second time, it's translated as spirit. So you could essentially say it as this. The wind or the spirit blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the wind or born of the spirit. I want you to understand this first and foremost when it comes to this infilling, this, this baptism, this living in the presence of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God is predictably unpredictable. He blows wherever he pleases. He sticks his nose into areas that you have clearly marked off limits. The Spirit of God challenges your comforts and your mindsets and calls you to go above and beyond yourself. He rarely tells you where he's going, but he beckons us to follow. This is the wind, the spirit, the breath of God that that we're encountering here for the very first time and in the infilling of it in Acts chapter 2. What I find is that when 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 you think that you have the spirit of God figured out, he surprises you just when you think you've got the recipe for how everything is supposed to happen he goes off grid and doesn't seem to want to obey us he actually beckons us to follow him because god is not interested in you following a recipe he is interested in a relationship and i and i said this to some guys this morning um and I mean this in love, even as a charismatic church, that like if you can manufacture, manipulate, or orchestrate the Holy Spirit, it may be emotionalism and not the Holy Spirit. And I, look, if, if the only time you can experience the presence of the Holy Spirit is during your favorite song, it may not be the Holy Spirit. And I mean that in, in as much Love as possible. I just want you to understand they didn't have a kick and worship team in the upper room of 120. They were waiting, praying, fasting, preparing, and God shows up suddenly and baptizes his people. In other words, I just want, I hope you find that as an encouragement that God doesn't need the third song of a worship set before he can show up. He can show up in the deepest, darkest dungeon. He can show up in the darkest time of your life. He can show up in the midst of your depression. He can show up in the midst of, of chaos. He can show up and wants to show up in the midst of whatever and wherever you are. It really doesn't matter. He wants to show up and change things. And when we try to think that we can, you know, manufacture or manipulate it, we, under, we quickly realize that he is predictably unpredictable, and he wants you to follow the wind. And when we think that we can like, oh, I got this, I got this figured out, this Holy Spirit works, and these are the steps to to, to making God show up, and this is the prescription to make this happen, we quickly realize that God doesn't want to follow our recipes. He's predictably unpredictable. Verse three. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Again, not fire but something that looked like fire. A lot of times we talk about like when Jesus and the, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. We, we think that it was a dove. We got like little pictures and, of a dove coming down on Jesus. Like it was like a dove. I understand that this is just like a metaphor. This is a, and, and they're trying to describe something that is almost otherworldly that, that they encountered. Who so says that not fire, but something that looked like fire? Because when God's presence shows up in the Bible, many times fire was involved. Not just wind, but fire. Elijah, think about Elijah when he was having a showdown with the 450 prophets of Baal. He was like, All right, guys, we're going to build an altar. We're going we're to get it all ready. And then you're going to call on the name of your God. I'm going to call on the name of my God. And the God who answers by fire, he's God. And Elijah prayed in 1 Kings 18, verse 38. It says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. God showed up in fire. In Exodus, we find that the Israelites that were led through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Moses when he first encountered the presence of God, he was walking along and he looks over and he saw what? A burning bush. And as I was reading this, here's, I want to show you something. I don't, I've never actually heard somebody speak on this. It's what's, what interest, what's interesting to me is that both of these descriptions have a similarity. Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. This is Moses in the burning bush. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire, from within a bush, Moses saw, catch this, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Just, just capture that, right? The, the idea of the fire, the burning of the bush that didn't burn up. And now fast forward to this day of Pentecost where every person becomes like a burning bush. They appeared to be on fire, but they did not burn up. Isn't that interesting? It's almost as if God is saying, like, my presence is moving from just being uh, positioned in a specific place, like a bush, to now being portable on a person. And I've often wondered, um, like, why why tongues of fire on top of somebody's head? Have you ever, like, I, I, I think about these things. I, I honestly, I will, why not something more cool, like, like, fire in their hands right that would be awesome right You'd be a, whoo, whoo. i mean you could just you could have so much more fun than than having um fire just a tongue of fire on top of your head um, and and i was i was just I was praying through this this week and i was imagining myself in this room of 120 people and these these tongues of fire coming and resting on everybody's heads and here's here's what i was i find it interesting i find it very interesting that you could see the fire on everyone else's head. But you couldn't see the fire on your own head. Because you can't see the top of your head, right? I mean, think about this, right? you got the tongue of fire in your head. I'm I'm imagining it was kind of like. They're just. Right? They're just kind of, do I have it? You know, they're looking around, trying to see the the tongue of fire. I'm just, I'm being very honest. Why? And, and, and what was it that the, the Lord was revealing something to me? It was this. It's always easier to see the gifts in others while we wonder if we have something to offer to. I, I sometimes wonder if the biggest question of the 120 as they're in the upper room was this. Do I have one too? Can, can you see it? See it on everybody, but do I have one? Because isn't that the question every single person wants to know? Do I have it too? And so we've created doctrines about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit just to answer that question Do I have it too? Do, I, know, I, I, I know you do, but do I? Do you see it? Because it's so much easier to see the gift of God in somebody else while we wonder, like, I don't know if I necessarily have anything to offer, do I have it too? And it's important for us to remember that although the Spirit may have sounded like the wind and appeared like fire, the Holy Spirit is a person, not a power. Listen, if you don't, if you don't grab anything else from this message today, I, I hope that you can get a hold of that. This is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not a a power; it is a person. He is a person, and honestly, like when the church gets confused about this, we get off track. When we begin to think that the Holy Spirit is a power to be wielded, a force to be manipulated, then we get we get off track really, really quickly because he is a person to be filled with and followed, not a power to be wielded or exploited. It's a person. Jesus said that you will receive power when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Holy Spirit filled every single person there. Not just the 12, every man, woman, uh, family member, friend, acquaintance, even those couple people that are really annoying, but you put up with them anyway, they were there too. These are the people that are eligible for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Every single person there, 120. This is something that is for every single one of them. And I just need you to understand that this is something that is for every single one of us. And it is at this moment where the Holy Spirit becomes the dominant reality in the life of the early church. And from this point on, as we go through the book of Acts, I just want you to understand that this is the, the birthplace of the church where everything all of a sudden changes. And from this point on, we're going to watch believers that are unable to do all kinds of stuff they couldn't do before. And this is the first one. They start speaking in other tongues. But we're going to find out that they're going to start having dreams and visions. They're going to be start working in miracles and healing. They're going to be given words of prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. They are literally guided by the Holy Spirit from this point on. I need you to understand, first and foremost, that they didn't have a list of spiritual gifts. They made a list of spiritual gifts. This was just the beginning. There was no like, okay, well, these are the list of spiritual gifts that we're about to receive here. No, they're just on this journey of discovering what it is that the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in and through them. And so they they start writing things down. I guess we'll call that a word of knowledge. You didn't know that, did you? No, I didn't. Okay, well, we'll write that down. Right? That's a prophecy. Oh, all right, right, we'll write that down. I guess that's a thing now, right? They all of a sudden start discovering what it is. They're, they're guided by the Holy Spirit. There's no more casting of lots. There's no more guesswork. I, I don't know what God wants to, I don't know his will. No, they start asking God ahead of time, where are we supposed to go? What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? And then walking in response to that, the Holy Spirit began leading these people. And they became different. And let me just, they were under no illusion that it was anything in and of themselves. They were under no illusion that this came from anything other than the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I just want you to understand that. There was no like, oh, wow, you you went to college and so you went to Bible school, so you you know a lot. No, 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 I'm an idiot. But the Holy Spirit filled me, and this is the only reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. Verse 5. It says, now they were staying in Jerusalem, some God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Let me just tell you, when the Holy Spirit shows up, there is no need to post flyers or advertise it. There's no need to rent a tent and say we're having a revival service, Right? When the Holy Spirit shows up, it's self-evident. And crowds always form around burning buildings. So something was going on. It was very evident that the Holy Spirit was showing up. They didn't need to put out and say, hey, the Holy Spirit showed up. You should probably come listen to us. No, they're just like, what in the world is going on at that church? What in the world is going on in that upper room? There is something that is happening. Let's go check it out. Why? Because everybody is drawn to a burning building. And I want you to notice that the Holy Spirit, um, these, these new Holy Spirit followers, they did not stay in their holy huddle um, waiting to just keep singing their favorite worship song one more time. They could not keep this to themselves, and they leave the building. I think sometimes the church needs to leave the building. For far too long, we've, we've allowed ourselves to kind of like stay inside thinking that this is what God has called us to do. But the church is the sent out ones, the called out ones, that we are called to, to leave the building and to influence our culture and those around us. I'm trying. They couldn't help themselves. Uh, listen, when the Holy Spirit shows up, I'm just going to let you know, you can't help yourself but tell other people. You can't help yourself but have it expressed in your workplace. You can't help yourself but have it, have it spill over onto somebody that you're talking to. It's not something that we just keep into an hour and 20-minute worship service and say, wow, that was awesome. See you next week. Can't wait for next week. What's the worship set for next week? Awesome my favorite. We keep singing it though, right? There, listen, I want you to understand, there is a place for the gathering of God's people. There is a place for edification through the word of God. There is a place for us to encounter the Holy Spirit. But I just want you to know, it is measured not by what we can contain, it is measured by what overflows. As God starts to work, I pray that we get a case of, I can't help myself but to spill over onto other people. It's what, it's what overflows. And, 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 I, and I mean this, and I, I hope you don't, this isn't a rant. I, I just really mean this. Like, for far too long, Christians have measured the fullness of the Holy Spirit by what they contain. Huh, I speak in tongues. I, I have the gifts of the Spirit, uh, whatever is happening in an hour and 20-minute worship service, one day a week. But the fullness of the Spirit has always, from the beginning, been measured by overflow always by overflow. It began in this upper room, but it was never meant to stay in an upper room. It spilled out into the streets. It began in Jerusalem, but it was never meant to stay in Jerusalem. It spilled in Judea and Samaria to the uttermost. It began in you, but it was never meant to end in you. It spills out into every person that you come into contact with and I mean this in all sincerity, but organized Christianity that does not disturb the world around it is a waste of the Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. It's a waste. Because it was never meant to end here. It was never meant to just be these, the cloistered group of people. It was meant to affect and to infiltrate and to change and to turn the world upside down. And anything less than that is a waste. Verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they ask this amazing question. It's what I named my message today. What does this mean? I've been wrestling with that all week. I think it's because I think it's such a great question that I I don't think that many spirit-filled believers ask enough. What does this mean? What does the baptism? What does the infilling of the Holy Spirit mean? Please tell me that it means more than speaking in tongues. Please tell me that it means more than a one off, one time experience after salvation that you can look back to and say, Well, I got it. I'm a card carrying member. You see it? Please tell me that it's more than that. Because I'll tell you, it was way more than that to these guys. Changed their life, changed everything about them. I mean, one day they're this. The next day they're that. Absolutely different. Think about when, um, when the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. You probably have read this before. When the, when the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus, um, he comes out of the waters of baptism. Let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. I find it very interesting, this, this correlation. So just know that I'm going to be relating this to what happens on Pentecost. Matthew 3, 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. What does that sound like? Maybe the blowing of a violent wind? I don't know. I'm just going to leave it there. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. So what was communicated to Jesus? Sonship, approval, validation from his Father. And now 120 are experiencing the sound of a violent wind from heaven. The Spirit descends, kind of like a dove, more like a tongue of fire, and it rests on them. And what is being communicated to these followers? Not sonship. There's only one Son of God but the priesthood of all believers. This reality of getting the Father's validation, his approval over you. At Pentecost, God no longer dwelled in temples made for men. At Pentecost, God made his people a temple for him to dwell in. This shift, all of a sudden when the Holy Spirit comes Everything changes. Jesus launched into his full-time ministry. And I just want you to understand, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's great that you receive gifts of the Holy Spirit, but please don't let it stop there. Romans 8, verse 11. says, if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Huh. God wants to equip and to empower you to be and to become more than you ever could, which is why it's better, and it doesn't seem like this, but it's better that you have the Spirit inside of you than Jesus beside you. It's always better. Verse 12. Excuse me, verse 13. This is the this is the last verse. It says, Some some, however, made fun of them, they mocked them, and they said, They've had too much wine. So what does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Looks like you're drunk, okay? I know we don't like that. I know it gets a little weird. I'm just, just saying like this is the first instance and in what does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Looks like you're drunk. And the Apostle Paul even makes a correlation. This is later on about being filled with the Holy Spirit and being looking like you're drunk in Ephesians 5.18. He says, don't get drunk on wine. It leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's this idea of intoxication with alcohol and intoxication with the Holy Spirit kind of have a similar thing. I'm not saying that, you're, that, they're, that they're the same, but I'm saying that there is this idea of, of similarities. And why do you think that the disciples were viewed as, as drunk on this first day? Probably because of their fearless happiness that they were expressing. Their fearless happiness happiness. They go from 120 people huddled up wondering, is what happened to Jesus going to happen to us? How much longer, Peter? You said three days and then it was seven and now it's not still happening. When is this going? All of a sudden, suddenly the Holy Spirit shows up and their fearless happiness. They are walking out there speaking in tongues. They don't even know what they're saying. It's gibberish to them. They're just like blah blah, blah you know, it's Shondah. They're just going off. They have no idea why. So what's the what's the correlation? Alcohol, one of the first things that you lose is your inhibition. And so does the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You get to a place of I don't care. I don't know if you've ever been like filled with the Holy Spirit to the point of overflowing, you just kind of get to the place where like, I don't really, I know you don't believe in Jesus, but let me just tell you, I love him so much. Oh my gosh. You need to meet my Jesus. And they're like, "Um, I'm not really into Jesus. And you're like, I don't even care. You need to meet him. Like, he's so awesome. And you get to this place where you're like, you, you, you see some of you guys during worship, oh, sorry, some of you guys during worship, you're like this. Well, some of you, you're like. Some of you are like this. 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 Some of you, like, here's the thing. All of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit starts working in you, you realize that your inhibition's uh, lesson, and you don't care as much about what everyone else thinks of you. Have you ever had somebody drunk dial you, and they're like, "I just love you so much. You're just amazing. I love," you. all of a sudden your inhibitions are gone, and you start saying things like, "I just love you so much." And you're like, "What's wrong with you?" I'm just filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm, I, am, I am I am, spirit drunk. Like I am forgiving people that don't deserve it. I love people that certainly don't deserve it. And all of a sudden, God just works new things in us. A good friend of mine texted me last week and it says this, um, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. That is what Jesus does in me. He comforts me when I'm afflicted and he kicks my butt when I need him. Comfort the afflicted, afflict the comfortable. And this is exactly what God does in my life. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to, uh, to end with some worship today. Um, I want to read you this quote by D.L. Moody. He said this. D.L. Moody wrote, You might as well try to see without eyes, hear without ears, and breathe without lungs as to try to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. The gift, the promise, the Holy Spirit is not an add-on for charismatic Christians. It is the only solution. It is the only solution. You were never meant to do this without the ignition of the Holy Spirit. So if you feel burned out, try being on fire. God wants to light a fire on the inside of you. And I just want to take some time. We're going to, we're going to take some time in worship today. And I told the team, I really want to just put, pray through this song. And, and here's what I, here's what I'm, here's what I'm praying. I'm not praying to orchestrate, manipulate, emotionalize anything. I'm praying that as a group of people, more than 120 gathered together, coming to the place of surrendering, saying, God, I, 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 I need a fresh and filling of your Holy spirit today. I pray that he would meet us today. I pray he'd meet you today. But not just you. I pray he would meet every single one of you. I pray that that God's spirit would fill us in new and fresh ways. I pray that he would come suddenly and unexpected because it always is suddenly and unexpected. And as we worship today, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Do something different. Do something different. If you want what you always get, then do what you always do. But if you want something different, then do what you rarely do. Maybe you get into a place of just, maybe you get on your knees. Maybe you lift your hands a little bit higher than you normally do. I don't know what that is for you, but just come to a place of saying, Jesus, I'm not looking for an emotional experience. I'm not looking for something orchestrated. I'm not looking for something manipulated. I'm looking for the real deal, the wind of God. The holy winds. I pray that you would breathe fresh on me. I pray that you would light a fire in me. And for those of you that are feeling a bit burned out, I just want you to know God wants to set you ablaze. But it only comes not through pushing through, not through put, painting a smile on your face, not through saying, "I'm just going to keep pushing, I'm going to keep doing, I'm going to keep." It's Jesus. I need you. And I realized I was never meant to do this without the ignition of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And so we receive the person of the Spirit today, fresh and new, maybe for your first time. You just come to this place of, I have heard a lot of weird things about the Holy Spirit, but if this is true, then I want it in my life. And so Jesus, today, as I stand before you, even as we sing this song, I pray you would fill someone fresh with your Spirit today. So church, do something different. Do something different as you're waiting for the promise, the gift of the infilling and the continual refilling of the Holy Spirit in our life. Let's worship him. Let's worship him. Let's worship him. Let's lift him up.